So glad that you're with us here today uh, as we worship, whether you're here in this room or gathering online, we're delighted to be able to share with you in the, the work that God is doing. Somebody said to me this morning before the first service began that February was flying by, and I had to agree. I said, you know, February is flying by. Anybody else feel like February is flying by? Okay, some of you do. Well, I came to this realization that for me, February is flying by. And then I realized if there was one month of the year that I would be just happy to fly by, I think it's February. So I'm on track, you know, my, my life goals. They're, they're doing just fine. February doing what it's needing to do. It's cold out. It's, it's wintry. It's, it's sort of unpredictable. Uh, not so much a happy time of the year in terms of kind of not a lot of life that we see. But as we said last week, in a fairly short amount of time, you're going to start to see things spring to life. And the, those seeds that have been laying dormant are kind of getting ready to come to life. And that's sort of the heart of this series that we are doing that we're calling Seven Critical Questions After a Season of Prayer to allow us to kind of get ourselves ready for the work that God wants to do. And that's simply my prayer, that, that God would uh, bring to life the, the seeds that have been sown in prayer. So the first two questions that we started last week are all about understanding our current reality and our desired future. And I made the point to you last week that this is, I think, in many ways, the essence of what leadership is about. The areas in which you have influence, where you have leadership, where God has called you to be a kingdom builder, etc. The question is, what is our current reality? And what is our desired future? We looked at Philippians chapter 1 last week, and I love that chapter. Just the whole chapter is so beautiful in so many ways. But Philippians 1 reminds us that we are in process. Verse 6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are thankful to be able to say, I'm a work in process? Yes. You didn't get a, give a real hearty amen to that. But that's okay. You're a work in process. I am as well. Uh, we also looked last week at the fact that we are anchored in the grace of God. So if the first question allows us to ask, the first statement allows us to ask the question, if we are a work in process, what are we becoming? The fact that we are anchored in the grace of God allows us to ask the question, what are we enduring? And some of you are enduring hardship right now. You're working through difficulty. You work through uncertainty. You work through uh, challenges, relational challenges, etc. Our current reality may be very difficult. But when we are anchored in the grace of God, we know that we can endure the difficulties of our current reality because of what he is developing for us in our future. And then finally, we looked last week about going deeper through prayer and that theme is not going to go away. That theme will be a part of today's message and many of the messages that we uh, navigate here in these coming weeks. And the, the question is, how are we growing? What is God doing today? How is God teaching you this week? Are, are you hearing the voice of God? Are you sensing a, a, a deepening of your faith as you respond to him in various ways. Now, I'm not suggesting that this happens at the same degree all the time, but we should be eagerly seeking and hungering for a greater manifestation of, the, of God's work in our lives. So how are we growing? So last week, as we unpacked these first two questions, what is our current reality? What is our desired future? Today, I, I want to look at some of the implications for the church, for the bigger picture of kind of who God has called us to be in ways that I hope will challenge you and allow you to say, 
Yes, I, I want to be a part of the corporate work that God is doing as he is shaping our current reality to his desired future. Does that make sense in terms of where we're going with that today? So I, I want to start by looking at Philippians chapter 1 again. I want to just read a few verses with you there just to anchor us there. But then the majority of our time we're going to spend in Romans 12. So if you have your Bible, you can flip over there. And uh, we'll take a look at these two passages. First in Philippians 1 uh, by way of review, verses 3 through 6 says this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I want to share that again with you this week because I think like if we get that piece, if we understand that we are in process, it absolutely is a game changer. That, that verse, Philippians 1.6, an absolute game changer in terms of where we go. So we're asking the question, what is our current reality and what is our desired future? But let me, let me remind you that as followers of Christ, we're not simply saying we want to understand our best understanding of those things, but we're asking for God's enlightenment of God, help me understand my current reality through your eyes, right? Help me understand the desired future through your desired future through your eyes. And those are not always one and the same things. I do not always have the mind or the vision of God. And yet as a follower of Christ, I'm able to pursue that. Now, I don't know about you, but I find these two questions that we're starting with in this series to be deeply practical. And I hope, and, and I, as I've heard from some of you, some of you have said, you know, that I'm already looking at certain things in my life through that lens. And maybe it's just a very wildly practical thing. What's the current state of my garage? And what is the desired future for that space? What is the current state of my marriage or my family? And what is the desired future as we go forward? These are all vitally important things. And whatever level you're applying them, I think it's important. So we get to ask the question, God, what is our current reality? From your perspective, what is our desired future? Um, the reason that we don't simply come up with our best ideas or think tanks or simply study what has worked in other settings, etc., is that there is a limit of our good ideas and predictions. And as human beings, we are going to predict certain things about where we see our future going. Sometimes we may be right, sometimes we may be wildly wrong. In case you are unsure of this, I brought a couple examples. Uh, here's a couple predictions that did not pan out exactly as the people thought that they were going to. 1776, John Adams made a public proclamation and statement, and he said, there is a date that is going to go down in American history, and this is going to be the date that people are going to celebrate from now until the end of time. And that is July 2nd. That was his prediction, because he didn't figure that the Continental Congress was going to need a little bit more time to wrap up all of their stuff in declaring their independence, and it was actually July 4th that we celebrate and eat hot dogs and hamburgers and, and celebrate as a national holiday. But he predicted it would be July 2nd. We do that on the 4th. Albert Einstein famously, uh, his famous equation E equals MC squared showed that mass and energy could theoretically be transformed into one another. Yet for many years, he argued incorrectly that this process could never be controlled. So in a lecture in 1932, he basically said that when it came to nuclear energy, 
He said, there is not the slightest indication that nuclear energy would ever actually be something obtainable. So he had this idea of what the future could be, but he got it wrong. In 1930, the famed uh, British economist John Maynard Keynes, he wrote an essay on the future of labor called economic Pos The Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. And in it, he claimed that the increased levels of wealth and prosperity ensured that people in industrialized countries would only need to pop into the office for brief three-hour shifts or a 15-hour work week. And he said this would all unfold by the year 2030. So I read it and said, maybe there's still time. <laughs> but it doesn't seem like that is the future that is unfolding. Uh, this, this other prediction that, that didn't quite uh, hit the, the bullseye, J.C. Ives, his name was Joseph Christmas Ives. Does anybody know what he did? He first uh, entered the Grand Canyon in March 1858 with a troop of people to explore and to report back on this incredible uh, landmark. A few years later, Ives wrote with extens an extensive report on his mission in which he pronounced that the canyon was a beautiful but essentially useless wasteland. After entering it, he said, there is nothing to do but leave. He wrote, ours has been the first and will doubtless be the, doubtless be the last party of non-natives to visit this profitless locality. It seems intended by nature that the Colorado River shall be forever unvisited and undisturbed. There were five million people that went to the Grand Canyon last year, much to J.C. Ives' non-prediction. So we don't always understand the future correctly. We don't always see it right. We have ideas of what it might be, and I think that's true in the church as well. I think that the best thing for us is when we as Christ followers are able to say, I'm hearing the voice of Christ. I'm hearing the leading of the Holy Spirit as he is leading me forward. So one of the leadership goals that I have set in the last five years especially is to get away and to take time for, for some prayer retreats a few times a year. I've actually found it to be sort of hard work in many ways, but I'm learning to love these times of personal worship and listening and often hearing, trying to sense what the Spirit is saying. And it's often not an affirmation of my best ideas. You know what I'm saying? And that's a good thing. It's a good thing for our church that we're not simply living out my best ideas. I found that listening happens well in solitude. And so I don't know what the level of solitude is that you're living in, but if you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to get God's view of my current reality and God's view of, of his desired future, I would suggest that you need to incorporate some level of solitude into your life because listening happens well in solitude. And I would also say this, that discerning happens well in the community of believers. So oftentimes after I'm coming back from uh, a retreat or some time where I'm, I'm trying to listen for the voice of God, I'm then speaking to trusted voices, family, my spouse would probably be number one, uh, leaders here at the church, staff, elders, if I can say, can, can you help process and discern with me the things that God is saying to us? So I'm saying all of this to give a little bit of a backstory, that this message is kind of birthed out of a prayer retreat that happened last September. I had a strong sense that Jesus was calling me to get out of my normal routines for a few days of listening, praying, trying to respond. Admittedly, this sort of came at a time when I was feeling uh, sort of stuck in some ways. I was wrestling with some frustration. 
And uh, I, I had actually planned on, on a few weeks down the road, you know, carving this time out. And I really sensed the Holy Spirit say, it's time to go now. Time to pack your stuff up and cancel your plans. I had an elder meeting that week. And so I called our head elder and said, hey, you're running the meeting. I'm going to be out of town. And, and they gave me the freedom to, to do that. But the question was all about, God, can you help me understand better our current reality? And uh, I sat down in for a few days in, in uh, Camp Hebron. Has anybody been there uh, in uh, Halifax, Pennsylvania? Yeah. It's a sweet little place. And uh, if you're in ministry, I should let you know they offered a sweet little thing where they said, we've got a cabin, a little rustic, but you can come and stay for a couple of days if you're doing some prayer retreating, which is exactly what I was doing. So spent some time there. And the Lord began to speak to me about worship belongs serve which is something that we talk about often here when we talk about our purpose and it's on our website and it shapes a lot of the things that we're trying to do in the areas of discipleship. How are we worshiping? How are we belonging? How are we serving? And so I actually brought a little diagram, uh, some things that God began to unpack that sort of started looking like this. Uh, what does it look to worship uh, like to worship when we pursue God first, when we belong, how we love God's family, when we serve, how we invest in God's work, how we send, embracing God's mission, and, and where does prayer fit into this thing? So some of these pieces, God began to speak to me sort of about some things we were doing, affirming some things, challenging me in some areas, adding to some things. And as I began to write these down, I thought, you know, this is probably good when we're talking about current reality and desired future for me to share with you today in the context of this message. These are some of the pieces that God's been putting on my heart. So in Romans chapter 12... It's kind of amazing how when, when you're reading God's word, I, I wasn't actually planning to lean into this passage quite so heavily this week, but as I was unpacking this message and preparing, it was like, this is exactly what God has been speaking and confirming over these times. And so uh, God's word is our, our lamp and our light, and so we, we look to that together today. I, I want you to read with me in Romans 12. We're going to read several verses, but I'm going to start us in verses 1 and 2. As we talk about worship Pursuing God first. Pursuing God first. And, and, and imagine with me for a moment what a church would look like that was fluent in the language of worship. Like if, like if we got this piece, I wonder what God would do in the fabric and the context of your life, your walk with him, our ministries and our various uh, things that we pursue together. What does a posture of worship in our daily lives look like? Um, so, so let me read Romans 12, a couple verses to you. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And he goes on to say, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I have to tell you that one of the things that I've observed in this, this sort of topic of worship, when it comes to, to grown-up churches, okay, spent almost, we spent over a decade working with a campus ministry, so that was like an adolescent church. And in those, in those years, what we preached and taught and experienced with those students that was so rich was the fact that the worship that we are called to live out, it, it really is not all about what we do for one hour on Sunday morning. 
Like, I mean, if, if, if you teach people how to come in and walk through the paces, so you're not a believer, and then you come to faith in Christ, and you come and we say, okay, here's how you're going to worship. You lift your hands at this time, and you're going to sing out real loud in these times, and, and, you, and you get this down really well. But you don't understand that worship is actually all about the life that you live, including this hour, but certainly there's a lot more to your life than this hour on Sunday morning. And, and there was something about that season of time and just ingraining that and living that out with our students that was so rich. And we saw the students just embracing this, realizing that my life of worship does not start at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. It doesn't end at noon. It's something that is just, it's just a part of who I am as a follower of Christ. It's a part of the privilege that I have received when I bow my knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and I say, my life is going to be about you and not about me. My life is going to be about the exaltation of Him. That is worship. And sometimes we do that when we sing. But the, the great tragedy in many grown-up churches that I've been a part of is that we don't see beyond the singing as an, as an aspect of our worship. So I want you to think about this, that, that in worship and pursuing God first, if you're, having, if you're writing notes down, you can write this down, that we have a posture of worship in our daily lives and that we have a spirit of unity in our worship in the, thing, in the services that we hold here. And I want to talk about both of those for a moment. Um, Louis Giglio, who's an author and a speaker, he wrote a, a cute little book called The Air I Breathe. It's all about worship. You can read it and sit down and read it in probably 45 minutes. One of the things that he said is this uh, in his book is he says that, that you are a worshiper. And some of you would say, of course I'm a worshiper. I'm here in a worship service and I love Jesus and I want to worship him. Others would say, I'm actually not really a worshiper because I'm not a real faith person or I'm, I, don't, I don't do the religious things or whatever. I'm really just here maybe checking some things out. But he would make the argument and I would agree. No, you are a worshiper. Like your life is exalting something right now. And here's a quote from his book. He says this, for some it's the office, for others it's the mirror, but when you follow the trail of your time and energy and affection and money, you find a throne, okay? When you follow the trail of your time and energy and affection and money, you find a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne, that is the object of your worship. Now, you can disagree with that assessment, but I think it would actually be very difficult to make the case that you and people that you know are not actually living out lives of worship right now. It may be that Jesus Christ is on the throne of your life. It may be that he's not, but you're worshiping something. You're living for something. So pursuing God first, this is your life of worship. I find it fascinating that when Paul says this to the Romans, this is your true and proper worship, that you would offer your bodies living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That means that 24-7, I am marked as one who has said, I belong to Jesus Christ. That my life, my actions, my thoughts, my attitudes, do they reflect it perfectly? No. But they are moving in that direction because I'm a work in progress, just like you, right? We're working toward being Christ-like and that people actually see Christ in you. That is a life of worship, and it doesn't start and stop with a church service. In fact, it's vitally important that we understand this if we're going to answer the question, what does 
uh, a church look like that was fluent in the language of worship? It can't be one hour a week. So there's a posture of worship in our daily lives. But then there's also a spirit of unity. This is something the Lord was speaking to me about very clearly for us. This is not in general. This is for us specifically. A spirit of unity in our worship services. I want you to be encouraged by this this morning. It is the object of our worship that is infinitely more important than the style of our worship. Can anybody say amen to that? I mean, hands down, there is no, there's no like close second here. It is the object of your worship that matters. So when you gather together and exalt the name of Jesus Christ and he is the, the object of your worship, that's such a healthy place for you to be, by the way. Because it's a place that you as the created one is coming into the presence of the creator and you're doing what you were created for, which is to give him glory and to give him praise. And so that's a conscious act of your will that you do that. But it is the object of our worship that is infinitely more important than the style of our worship. And I'm saying that because we are a church that has had historically different styles in our services. We do some things in the first service with more hymns and choir and different things like that and more things historically in the second service that are... Uh, uh, choruses and, and more modern, different things like that. And so I started thinking about and praying about, okay, well, God, help me to understand what is our current reality. And what began to burden me, and even I think part of what took me to this prayer retreat was this burden that it feels at times like we're not the healthy family that God wants us to be. In fact, I shared with our elders, sometimes it feels like I'm pastoring two churches. And I don't mind that for the work. I mind that for the messaging. You know what I mean? It's, it's, well, it's hard work too. But anyway, that's a, that's a separate thing. There's a, there's a spirit of unity that when we get it wrong, it feels like we're a family living on different levels of a house. Can you imagine a, a husband and a wife that says, I live upstairs, you live downstairs. Don't mess with my stuff. I won't mess with your stuff. Some of you are going, that's how our house works. It's great. But it doesn't sound real functional. It doesn't sound teamwork, even if there's a certain practicality. You don't mess with my stuff. I don't mess with your stuff. There's a, there's a deeper calling, the spirit of unity to say we, we need to celebrate for one another. If we can't celebrate for one another, we end up being Congress. You know, we fight for our constituency and fight against or just ignore the other peoples. In fact, uh, you know, historically, what I've observed is that we've actually always had one of our services sort of in growth and the other one sort of languishing. There's always been kind of this flux. And I've wrestled a little bit with that. God, is that just something you're doing? In fact, I remember when I first started in this role almost 10 years ago, uh, our district superintendent said to me, he said, Aaron, I've preached at your church a handful of times where you're going to be. He said, I just want you to know that second service, that's you guys here. So that second service is absolutely devoid of identity. It has no idea what it is. I've never seen a service so lifeless. That was his assessment. Like, okay, I guess we should work on that. I see the life of Christ here. But there have been times that, that, that the life was languishing, you know. So, so we, we got to work on spirit of unity. And so I'm, I'm simply saying that to you to say that something that the Lord has put on my heart um, as we go forward. And, and, and I, I wanted to just address this too, because where I think we miss it is that we get so hung up on the style we get so hung up on kind of the, this is the music that I like or understanding. And when my, when my experience or understanding of worship is limited to that, the whole church suffers. You know, a great way to be miserable is to feel like if I don't have this sort of playlist for my worship, I can't approach God. 
In fact, I, so I started thinking about this during the pandemic because we were forced into the situation. We couldn't do all the things that we normally do. Some people were upset. Some people told me, well, I, I miss this or I can't worship this way or whatever. And I started realizing, and, I, and I'm saying this in, in, I really mean this in love, but I'm saying this, uh, there's a practicality to it. I started realizing that if I have a certain style of worship that I love and I just connect with God's heart in that, do you realize I could listen to that style of worship like 100 hours a week if I wanted to? There's this thing called the internet. It's, it's catching on. Um, no, we have resources and access to resources like crazy amounts so that when I say like, well, yeah, but then I came to church on Sunday morning and the, you know, they sang two songs. I don't even know that there are two hymns. I don't even know them or whatever. I, like think about how whiny that actually is, Right? I sang two songs that I didn't know. Oh my goodness, you know? So I started kind of reflecting on this and, and here's I think where I'm landing. And I, again, I, I say this in love. If you become dissatisfied with your public worship experience, and all of us have probably been there at one time or the other, it is possibly because your private worship is not robust enough. Does that resonate with you today? Like, I mean, I, I, could be, I could be totally wrong. I wouldn't be saying if I thought I was totally wrong. I think I'm actually right on this. I think this is from the Lord. But, you know, imagine this. In fact, put it to the test if, if you want. Make it your priority every day of this week to say, I will spend time exalting the name of Jesus. Do it however you want. Do it however brings glory to God and, and helps you to encounter his presence. Sing whatever songs you sing. Some of you can't sing worth anything, so don't sing. You know what I mean? You don't want to sing, don't sing. Do something else. Listen to music, don't listen to music. Focus, look at scripture. There's a hundred ways in which you can come into the presence of the Lord. But, but test this and see if, if, your, if your private life of worship is robust. If you would be able to come into the deadest public worship service and lift hands up and encounter the Lord and say, praise God, I love Jesus and this is awesome. I think that's actually true. Because when, you're, when your private worship life is robust, it's a very different thing. So pursue God first. That's what worship is all about. Um, I, I would like to actually take some time later in this year. I mean, the subject is so big, but I, I, I realize that my theological grid or understanding of worship is actually really sort of thin. And I think a lot of people that I talk to that when, when I hear them talking, it's sort of like, I think we've got a thin grid or understanding of what biblical worship is. So I'm actually going to incorporate that into some of our teaching with the hope of seeing us grow uh, in pursuing God first in worship as we go forward. So that felt like a whole sermon, and I still have four more points. <laughs> so let's go on to the second one. Uh, the second one is belonging, loving God's family. And, and this is simply to say, you know, I wonder what it would look like in the church if, if we actually said we love the things that God loves. And if we love one another the way that God loves. Romans 12 goes on to say, after a very clear thing of saying, this is your spiritual act of worship, Paul says this in verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. And I, I can't help but pause on that and just say, can you imagine what your church experience would look like if we all did that well? 
Like if we got that piece, you, so many of you that have been frustrated with the church and you're dealing with all that and you're dealing with wounds and all that kind of stuff because the church is made of people and people are messy and everything else. If we got verse 3 of Romans 12 down, it would be a game changer. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member, what's it say? Belongs to all the others. You know, there's just this, this beauty of what would it look like if we understood our belonging to one another? With sober judgment, not considering myself greater than I need to, actually looking at the needs of other people, caring for one another, loving what God loves. There's a belonging piece that is really very rich here. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are nearer in heart to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious or strive for closer fellowship. You know, just that, that idea of Christ in the middle. So here, here's what I want you to get. The thing that unites us is the object of our worship. That's why point one is so important. Like, if we understand what we're doing in worship and exalting the name of Christ, it's really not about the style. It's about the object of our worship. That is also the thing that unites us. Tozer went on to say this. He said, A hundred religious persons knit into a unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make a football team. You know, the, this, the last thing we want to do is just kind of walk you through the motions here and say, well, this is what we're trying to do, or whatever. But we understand as we look to Christ and we yield to his standard that we actually are bonded together. So there's this belonging piece. It's really very beautiful. There's a serve piece. When we talk about serving, we're talking about investing in God's work. And again, just look at what, the, what Paul continues to say in Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. And if it is teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Be a part of this thing. You know, this is the beauty of, of serving is that we have this opportunity to say, you know, God has given certain gifts to me. I'm not the head of it. You're not the head of it. That's why we got to check our pronouns at the door. I hear, I hear people say, my church, you know, my church, my, my church, my church, not my church. You know what I mean? It's not your church. It's not my church. It's Jesus' church. He's the head. We get to be a part of it. He actually entrusts certain gifts to us. Why? So that we can bring him glory and we can strengthen this thing called the church. So here's the question. Why do we serve? Why do we serve? I mentioned before that we were you know, over 10 years working with a student church, we had a turnover, a turnover of our leadership like every two years. We were all, all different. So it was always, we were sending, sending, sending. It was always, always this sending kind of ministry. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But in this sending mentality, you had to be thinking about what was coming next. There wasn't anybody that had been around. Long term was like 18 months, you know. Then you get to grown-up church, and sometimes people have been serving in roles for decades, Right? I've been doing this thing for decades. It is good for us to occasionally, 
step back and just simply say, why am I serving? What is it that God has called me to do? See, when my gifts and your gifts are put into circulation for God's glory, we see the church get stronger. We see the glory of Christ increase. And this is where we've talked about this before, but I think it's really important. When we serve, we serve with a critical eye, but not a critical spirit. That this has been such a game changer for me as I observe it in my own life and our staff and everything like that. We say this again and again. We want to have a critical eye. We want to not have a critical spirit. A critical eye sees the need and moves to meet it. A critical eye desires to serve so that the body gets better. A critical eye looks for the good in the work that's being done already. A critical eye speaks life and courage to build up. And here's the biggest thing. I'm convinced of this. A critical eye embraces the process. It is a Philippians 1-6 kind of moment because the current reality does not have to be the final desired future. There is a process involved. Critical spirit, none of us like a critical spirit. Even people with a critical spirit don't like people with a critical spirit. A critical spirit is unsatisfied and unhappy. A critical spirit demands change. A critical spirit sucks the life out by demanding perfection now. There is, and think about this, when, when you are perfectionistic and you have a critical spirit in operation, you are not able to look at the process that God is unfolding. Any of you that are parents know your kids can drive you crazy in the moment. But when you can step back and say, yeah, but where are we going? What is our current reality? What is our desired future? We don't, have to get, uh, we don't have to get hopeless about it. So critical eye, not a critical spirit. A church where people merely attend will never see kingdom advancement, but a church where people invest themselves may be surprised at the kingdom potential that God unlocks. Do any of you feel like I'm yelling at you today? Get your private worship life in order. Get serving. I'm not doing it to yell at you, but I, I'm thinking like, you know, there is kingdom potential that God is saying, I'm, I'm ready. I'm waiting. I'm giving you the opportunity to be a part of the work that I'm doing here. And it may be time for someone to say, it's time to get in the game. It's time to get in the game. There's two last ones that we're going to do sort of quickly. I'm sitting on this prayer retreat and I've been thinking about worship belong serve for a couple of days and praying into it. And I kept sensing, like, what, am, what are we missing? There there's, feels like there's some things that are missing. And I sense the Spirit of God saying, I don't know how you're doing in this area of sending. I think that the, you're missing the, the sending component to ministry. You see, as I was saying, for 11 years, Amy and I were leading a sending ministry with our college students. We couldn't keep on, we couldn't hold on to them even if we wanted to. They were going to graduate, they were going to move on to other places. But there's something very healthy about embracing God's call to go, to be sent. This is where churches get planted. This is where mission trips happen. This is where local outreach happens. This is where refugee families get ministered to, as some of you are doing right now. You're doing a great job. This is where out of the cold happens. We're going to be uh, ministering to our homeless population here in State College soon. Wood for good. We've been uh, giving people some fuel in the wintertime. Orphan Care Alliance which I think they have a dinner coming up here at uh, February 22nd. Some of you want to get involved with that. 
uh, ministering to the persecuted church, front yard mission. There's, there's actually been a lot of things that God has been stirring and doing. God may give you a dozen assignments. He may only give you one, but let's be intentional about embracing our sentness. I, I think the worst thing in the world would be that we become a church, that we get everything figured out, we get all ironed out, we're doing great worship services, we're gathering together, whatever, but there's no sentness. We gotta send, we send, we gotta go. We, got, we, can't, we can't stagnate. There's always an outflow. So I wonder how the Lord would call us in this coming year to embrace our sentence. Romans 12, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. And then finally, be faithful in prayer. And that was the piece as I was away on this prayer retreat. Again, you can't get away from this subject. When we pray we encounter God's heart. And what is the church without the heart of the Creator? You see, if we miss this piece, we miss everything because the, the spiritual battle is real, so we need to pray. Fatigue is real, so we need to pray. Christ is coming for His church, so we need to pray. We need to be a church that is getting ready for His return. Pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, actually advancing the mission of Christ, bringing back the King. That's a church that's prepared. We're not afraid of it. We're expectant for it. But all of that happens when we pray. It's a testimony that I read in a book about a sister church of ours in Grove City, Pennsylvania, and, and they talked about just the way that the, the presence of God began to show up as they, as they were praying, because when we pray, the, the climate changes, and it didn't happen all at once, but over time, they were starting to see just incredible move of God in their midst, and I don't know why God sometimes moves and sometimes tarries. I don't control Him, but I do know that when we are a, prayer, a praying church, a praying leadership team, having praying families, praying community groups, and we're saying we are making space for the work of God. I think that pleases his heart. That is a desired future that he would like to see us continue to grow into. So I'm reading this testimony from this church, and they're seeing this incredible move of God, all kinds of people getting saved. There was healings. There was incredible work being done. And one of their leaders finally said, after seeing incredible things happening, you know, I wish we would have learned to pray earlier. <laughs> We were working so hard. We were working so hard. And that resonates with some of you. It resonates with me. Sometimes there's a disproportionate amount of work that we do to try to see progress that doesn't come. And God said, I want you to pray. I want you to be a praying church. We're going to uh, reinvigorate our Living Waters prayer services next month. We'll give you details about that at the end of March. And we'd love to see you out there. And that's not the only place to pray. There's a hundred ways in which we can make a commitment to being a praying church. So let's wrap this up. Worship team, you can come on up. I'm going to just give you a little challenge here as we put these first two critical questions into context. What is our current reality? What is our desired future? So today I've tried to share with you a couple of things that are on my heart about current reality, desired future. I hope that you're looking at a hundred different things as you go through your week and thinking about what's my current reality here? What's my desired future? The, the reason I love these questions is that it forces us to live with the end in mind, right? So, I mean, just practical things. If you say, well, we want to be the kind of home that our kids actually want to come back to after they've moved out of the house. 
Not forever. Not to move into the basement. That's fine if you're doing that. But like, we, we actually want to have relationships with our kids, right? So there's current reality stuff that we've got to address now to build toward that. You, know, you want to have a marriage that, that is strong, where you're growing together, praying together, trusting each other, communicating well. well there's, there's current reality stuff that you're working toward with the end in mind, right? So let me give you kind of the big picture that all of us that, that love Jesus could think about in this first early part of the series. There is a goal for every one of us that we would stand before the Savior one day. And he's going to look at you. He's going to look at you. Like he knows your name. He knows my name. You know, I'm going to give an account for the things that I've done with my life. And I will just tell you, first and foremost, the biggest account that I can give is to say I fall in the finished work of Jesus Christ because that's the only righteousness that I have is what's been imputed to me. I don't have anything else. But here's the thing. You're going to stand before Jesus one day and he's going to look at a whole bunch of you that are here and he's going to say, well done. Well done. And in the midst of the fatigue that no doubt you feel and the spiritual battles that you feel and the current reality that it's not ideal in probably a lot of ways, there is sort of this ultimate current or ultimate future that we look for. So with the end in mind, that keeps me going in the days when otherwise I would want to kind of give up. Because I don't want to stand before Jesus and say, well, it got kind of hard and so I quit. So I was obedient to the things that you called me to do. And I carried out the calling to be a worshiper in all the places that you called me to be. And he looks at you and he says, well done. That's it. That's ultimately what we're living for as Christ followers. So maybe that would stir your heart a little bit today. I want to pray for you. Worship team's going to lead us in a beautiful song. I think very appropriate for us as we process some of these things. Uh, I do want to invite you. Um, I say this a lot. Um, I think prayer is, is what we need more than anything. And if your heart is kind of stirring today and you're saying like, oh, you know, I just, I'm sensing the Lord kind of calling me forward, not out of condemnation, not out of guilt, but just saying I want to get closer with him. Please, this is good space. You know, this is, this is, this is good space. And to come at the, to the altar with your spouse, with your family, with your friends, whatever, and say, Lord, I'm coming before I'm asking for a deeper walk with you making a commitment before you. I want to get that well done, you know? Help me, I've been feeling sort of tired out. Let the altar be good, safe space for you today uh, to spend some time with him. Okay, so let me pray for you. Could you stand together? Just receive this as a prayer. Lord, as you look at our, uh, you look at our current reality, you see it all. You see the good, bad, and the ugly. And so we, we just acknowledge that before you. You who sees everything are calling us into a desired future. And so we're going to ask you, Lord, uh, for your desired future to unfold. And so I would just pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and, and really, God, just responsive hearts. Give us soft hearts. We, we don't, we don't want to run through this time of the year having missed the work that you desire to do in us. Some of us would simply say, God, my worship has been kind of 
all over the place. I want to put you in the center. So that's a, that's a commitment moment. Somebody would say, you know, I, I'm not sure that I could say I belong to the church or that I love the church the way God does or sees it the way he does. So now there's, a, there's another commitment. There's a 101 ways that God might be saying, you know, I want you to serve. I don't want you to serve in 100 ways. I want you to serve in this way. And better yet, I want you to commit that service to me because I want to empower you to do it not on your own strength. There may be a sending component. There may be dreams that God is breathing in you today. You say, I need to bring this to the altar. Take it to the Lord. Hope, hold it with, with open hands. There may be a prayer commitment. And yes, we're praying about praying. It's very meta. But there may be a prayer commitment. We say, Lord, would you help me be a prayer warrior? Help me have a greater hunger for time with you, time in prayer. So, um, as you commit and as you spend that time with the Lord, uh, I, I would encourage you, if you would like to come forward, spend some time at the altar, a wonderful expression of that commitment that you're making. So, Jesus, help us uh, be responsive. You are bringing new things out of us because we are a church in process. We are not a finished work. And so we, we embrace the work that you're doing now. So let us sing this with our hearts, and we love you in Jesus' name.